1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pidgeon and Emily Wallace. And today we're talking 2022 market trends, how we think the markets are going to play out around the country. Um, our sentiment and thoughts on elections coming up We're not, we're not uh, political experts by any means But we're going to have a crack and, and give our thoughts So uh, looking forward to the show uh, Let's get into it, Emily Let's do it So,
3: John, I think it is the question on everybody's mind, you know, what does the property market look like this year? And I'm already starting to get a lot of people inquire about opinions of forecasts, what's happening. There's quite a few things floating around that could influence the market or could have no impact at all, notably along the lines of rate rises and uh, the election, and then just generally coming off the back of such a heated market in 2021. So there's a lot to digest and unpack. Uh, in that where should we start
2: <laughs> well I think we've got to start with mindset don't we well like mm. what are what are our individual thoughts around these things that are, are really out of our control and and full disclosure I had to google when the election was actually coming up um, so <laughs> likewise <laughs> and that's um, and that 's may for the listeners that don 't know either but uh, so that 's just around the corner and and that 's something that is absolutely one hundred percent out of our control as an investor as a person as a as an individual in life, uh, whilst we can have our vote i my thoughts and i, I don 't know what yours are emily but the policies are so very similar today that if either party gets in, um, it's a, a hybrid effect or hybrid policy of the other one and, uh, and there's all these um, false uh, promises in the lead-up to, to make people come and vote for them and, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any major wholesale changes coming on board for, if either party should get in. What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, I agree, particularly given it's at federal level, right? With the property industry and the property market is so segmented state by state. So, really, I can't see how there would be a policy outside of maybe tax law, which would more in- affect investors, things to do with tax, which is a national matter. I just can't see how there'd be anything that drastically changes. People's decision to buy or not to buy, um, or sell or not to sell. I think the biggest change we're always hopeful for is some reduction in stamp duty or some, you know, waiver or, um, further concessions. But that's really a state by state case. And so therefore, in my mind, particularly in the first home buyer market, I just can't see how it's going to be negatively impacted by the federal election. And there's no, Major, big headlining statements to suggest that that would be the case.
2: No, no, I um, I, I agree. Now, just on that though, Queensland. For anyone living in Queensland, not not necessarily living in Queensland, but uh, looking to invest in in Queensland, um, you may be aware that uh, Queensland has a, a reasonably generous tax system um, for investors, but they are looking to to impose a. A land tax rule for interstate investors that are going to buy into Queensland, so we need to be aware of that i I hope that it gets overturned, but um, basically what it 's saying is that if you 're say coming from Victoria uh, buying a, an investment property in Queensland that your land tax um, from, if you've got an investment property in Victoria or New South Wales or WA, they'll take that into account when calculating their land tax on that new purchase in Queensland. So you're not starting from zero um, just because you're buying in Queensland for the first time because um, as we know, state-based uh, land tax applies and, and it usually starts at 0 uh, for the first time investor. So yeah, that, that's... um, That's interesting.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I just bought another property in Queensland. I hope it's not a grandfather <laughs> that, that rule because I don't want to pay more land check, tax. Check
2: the fine <laughs> print. But yeah, so if you've got a, a land value somewhere else, say $400,000 worth of land, um, that's the starting point for you as an investor going forward if you're going to buy from interstate into the the Queensland uh, property market. So just, just keep abreast of um, the changes and when that may take effect if it does so yeah um that that's one that's uh, has nothing to do with the elections it's just something that yeah. uh, as you said state by state they're making their own rules and regulations
3: yeah definitely and look i think we sort of shine a light on the state by state rules for stamp duty because it does Drastically, you know, vary, um, and even I mean, I think you and I would both agree that the scale of the concession for first home buyers just needs to change. The you know the median house price in every state is rising, and I just think it's not enough. Um, we've spoken about that in a previous episode. I'm pretty sure about those thresholds, um, but. Unfortunately, for those listening, that's not going to come out of a federal election. That's going to come out of state by state change that people really need to, I guess, lobby for and make make um, politicians aware of you know the real um, burden that can carry on first time buyers trying to get into the market having a deposit plus an extraordinary amount of stamp duty
2: as well to just to get in. Yeah, that's right. And, and New South Wales are, are trying to lead the way in the in that change, aren't they for for mm-hmm. stamp duty and just uh, phasing it out and replacing it with Land tax, and yeah. my view on that is, it's every situation is yeah. different as to which which one's a better option: pay the stamp duty up front or, or land tax um, ongoing for the rest of your invest, investment career. But uh, in the example of Queensland with the the land tax that I mentioned, you might be paying sort of. Maybe fifteen hundred two thousand a year in land tax because of that change, is that a game changer for buying into Queensland in a market that you think will have some considerable growth, like if you're getting mm-hmm. ten fifteen twenty fifty grand a year of of capital growth then you you probably cop the fifteen hundred two thousand we don't like it but that's uh that's the way it is in this um privileged country that we live in.
3: Definitely. Now, for a bit of a change of pace on influence on the market for this year, 2022, the topic that I'm just, to be honest, the question's been asked so many times. It's one of those ones that I almost have an eye roll, but I try not to, which is around will interest rate rises affect the property market? (laughs)
2: Um, it's just <laughs> I'm sick of this question being pointed towards me. Um,
3: it's just one of those things, isn't it? And I actually um, did a bit of digging on the RBA historical data of, you know, when they announced the cash rate changes and how that influenced rates and things like that. I think what people really need to realise is that we are currently at an all-time low, that's very well known. And if you if you don't know that, you know that now, at 0.1% for the RBA cash rate. That being said, with incremental increase, let's just say it happens over the span of a two-year period and we get back up to 1% of the cash rate or maybe a bit higher, we're back to where we were roughly two and a half years ago anyway. So, it's not a new con, like the the cash rate being at one percent or one point five percent, is not a new concept. It has happened before. We're not treading new territory. It's not like we're all of a sudden going to see interest rates at seventeen percent out of nowhere. It's incremental change. The um, policymakers and the people who make these decisions don't want to see the economic um, crash occur of any sort. So they're not going to deliberately have factors that would see that happen. I think where people need to be careful is how the media paints the picture of this Mm. and to be very careful of the headlines that you do read because effectively the media can drastically influence the market if too many people take it as gospel.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're in February now. Um, as of last month, there are about forty-two loan products, I believe, that were, still had rates under two um, percent for owner occupy. So, yeah, it's. It's all time lows that we've um, we've been a part of or privileged to have in the last couple of years, not going to last forever. When I started investing they were at seven percent and and that was just what it was and we adjusted to it and and we could still buy a good property and they were still yielding well, et cetera, et cetera. I think the key to understand f- is for for mortgage holders that um, have their own home is to factor in some some buffers in their life, which we always should be doing, but having a, a property or almost like an interest rate buffer. Um, so just doing some high-level numbers. If you've got a loan of 450000 principal and interest, and you're making fortnightly re- repayments, if you had an interest rate of 2.5%, um, that's $820 a fortnight. If you change that to 3%, that's $875 a fortnight, so about $55 mm-hmm. an increase. Um, if you mm-hmm. change that to four percent right it goes to nine ninety one so it 's about well let 's round figure two hundred dollars a fortnight extra four hundred dollars a month. Is that a game changer for a lot of people? The answer is probably no. And that Mm -hmm. is going to be six interest rate rises. Now, I haven't got a crystal ball and neither of you, uh, but I think there'll be one interest rate rise this year at at max two and they usually go up in 0.25 increments. Um, So, yeah, I think generally speaking, if we can afford, we should be able to afford six interest rate rises. So that's what I'd be running my number on. Um, And also that dance between fixed and variable and and understanding what that looks like uh, and, and maybe having a split there if you haven't already.
3: And having those buffers there, you're so right, John. A lot of people don't actually account for a buffer of an interest rate rise. They might account for if they're an investor, they might have like a maintenance fund or you know a couple of months' worth of mortgage repayments up their sleeve in case um, the property is vacant for a period of time. But those month by month or fortnightly, you know, repayments having that buffer for some people, that's just having one less Uber Eats meal a week. You know, <laughs> like it's really, but but you do need to factor it in because you don't want it to be sprung upon you that you know, oh, where do we need this extra money coming from and how we need to adjust our lifestyle i think it's really important to to understand your buffers and account for them well but that at such a valid point that you just made around um that maximum amount ending up at 991 on that case study is six interest rate rises like six interest rate rises doesn't happen overnight um and so i think there's a whole nother um debate and, and insight into salary increases which I'm sure has been covered on the main show at some point um, but you know it inflation occurs things are going to go up generally speaking so we need to account for that yeah
2: absolutely and and whilst these interest rates have been low uh, I know a lot of first-time buyers that that, um, that are listening that may have just got in to the market so they may have used almost every penny uh, but we've had low cash rates, so we should should have been putting a little bit aside um, in anticipation that they are going to go. But high level governments don't let doesn't let property fail because of uh, its importance to the economy, um, and so yeah, we, we can't see that happening anytime soon. That's going to be drastic to to majority of Australians and and just as individual homeowners. The last thing we want to let go is our mortgage. So the roof over Tap our head. So we will, as you said, the Uber Eats goes and, and we, we forego a, a new pair of shoes or whatever it might be to because it's the last thing that we, um, we, we want to get rid of. Totally.
3: I think it would be awesome to, um, after the break, get some insights on, you know, on the ground, what we're both hearing, um, you know, in the way of what agents are saying, what potential buyers and sellers are saying about how they're feeling about the market and um, maybe unpack our predictions for the remainder of 2022 as well. So we're back in just a moment.
2: So Emily, based in Melbourne, what are we seeing on the ground with agents, with clients, with vendors? What's, what's happening? What's the spiel?
3: Look, it's interesting because um, as we're recording this, there's only been one major auction weekend pass and in Victoria, um, you'll know that auctions are a key indicator of the market. And what is always fascinating, for those of you who have never attended an auction, um, I'd strongly suggest noting down when the property is called on the market – Um, So when we've actually hit the vendor's reserve price where they're willing to sell versus where the property actually ends up selling for, which is what a buyer is prepared to pay. So on the ground here in Melbourne, um, I spent a fair bit of time literally on the ground jumping from auction to auction on Saturday and also got people to report in. Um, as to what they were seeing. And it's pretty evident that um, the heat is still there. And there's two indicators that show that. Number one is the number of hands going up at auction. So most auctions were averaging between four and six parties bidding. So that's a lot of demand for a certain product. And then also the um, margin over the vendor's reserve that people were willing to pay. In some cases, um, that was in excess of 15% over the, um, the vendor's expectations. So I think generally speaking, there is still heat in the market, there is still not enough stock to outweigh demand and we always talk about supply and demand being the the general equation. But one really interesting thing to note, and I do believe that this is Australia-wide, is the properties that are suffering at the moment, I believe, and maybe an opportunistic time for those who have access to trades, maybe in their family, is those that really require like a full facelift renovation because the cost of materials and the cost of labour and the availability of trades is really, really tricky right now. And it's actually making um, renovated properties look a little bit more attractive to people Um, than say buying at a lower price and renovating. You probably may end up with a result that's higher, like in terms of the net value of what you've spent um, than if you were to just buy in a, a renovated property that's all good to go and done. So, that's something I didn't think I'd ever see, but it's happening.
2: Yeah, well, it's, I suppose there's, there's three ways we can make money in real estate, isn't it? Buy at discount, add some value and capital growth. And, and the capital growth mm. component out of our control, the add value component very much in our control. So we, we mm. look at something and I actually purchased something last week um, where there's, there's add value potential and you've got to understand what the cost of improving something, um, at the, at this time is because two years ago, mm. very different numbers in respect to what, uh, what the cost of, of trades and the cost of supplies were, and also the time frame around where you can get them as well. Um, so mm. how long does it take to actually get your trades in because they're booked up and busy and how long does it take for, for supplies to come in depending on the type of renovation you're doing. So yeah, it's an interesting point, but that's, supply demand is, generally speaking, there's a shortage of land around Australia in key areas, isn't it? And that's not changing anytime soon. So um, there's, there's definitely needs to be more houses built than, than people living. And we haven't even spoken about or haven't seen any international migration in the last couple of years. So uh, we, we may be looking at some of that happening in late 2022, 23. So we, we need to factor in that um, aspect as well.
3: Well, interesting you touch on that, John. I did have some insight from an agent and she said, please share this with everybody Um, recently. As soon as the um, announcement was made that international travel, like they just had to be double vaxxed to come back, um, which was uh, two or three weeks ago now, she said, It was bizarre. Her WhatsApp started going off because obviously international calling is so much easier on WhatsApp. Um, And she said she was getting calls at like nine o'clock at night, which was you know maybe 11 o'clock in the morning, wherever that person was, inquiring on properties to say like, would you be able to hold them until we get there because we really want to buy. So literally almost overnight, the inquiry from the international side of things really picked up. And she sort of alluded to the fact that And I agree with her. Um, A cashed-up international return, like an expat returning, could be just as bad as an auction, um, as a cashed-up downsizer. Like when we walk into an auction scenario, and you can see that there's someone who they're cashed. So, so in terms of a bank valuation, yes, they don't want to overpay, but they're kind of prepared to go beyond. Um, I hate to break it, but I do think that will impact the first home buyer market a bit. With this competitive nature of um, people wanting to get back from from overseas, yeah,
2: I, I agree. And uh, they usually are cashed up, and they may have to cop a little bit of foreign investor tax, but they they wear that because they they like investing in Australia over over other countries around the world, especially with the state of some economies there um, international. So, yeah. yeah. What does that do? And generally, what do international people buy? Well, they they do gravitate a little bit towards uh, inner city living, don't they? So um, apartments and units and and maybe townhouses. So I wanted to chat a little bit about that because, uh, as people may have gathered, I'm I'm probably more favoured towards buying. Uh, land and having the value of that mm-hmm. land increase over the journey um, in in the form of having a house on it. But I, I think two things are, are maybe happening in the next couple of years. I, I think we'll start to see some growth in this type of asset class for two reasons. One is because houses in their preferred suburb to live in is just unaffordable now. Um, as opposed to three or four years ago, and the international uh, investors coming in and and buying some of that stock as well. I don't see obscene amounts of growth, but I do see that it's an area that we'll we'll see, um, see some growth that we probably haven't had in the last two to three years.
3: I agree with you. And I think also now that we're sort of in this reset phase um, post, well, I wouldn't say post pandemic because it's still prevalent, but in terms of the adjustment period of working from home and really we've figured out like how much space do we actually need? How often am I going to the office? What do I need my setup to be from home? Initially apartments and townhouses were like, no, we don't want those. We um, We want more space. You want to be further out. I don't know about you, but certainly what I'm seeing is people are starting to creep back into inner city or wanting that again, realizing that, you know, the, um, the need for space isn't forever and it was sort of. When you look at your lifespan, <laughs> and you look at the the little glitch of the pandemic in it, it actually is quite a small percentage of your of your life and how you live your life. So I think people are starting to realise that potentially, um, inner city living and less space is where they want to be. For others. Definitely they want the big block and they want to be further out and they're happy for a sea change. But um, I'm starting to notice a bit of an inwards trend again.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and there was, um, to, to the contrary of this, um, and not contradicting ourselves, but there was an article in the Fin Review last week, I think it was, um, last hurrah for regional housing. Um, As <laughs> <laughs> love a headline, <laughs> don't you? It's like regional um, towns, they're over, they're done for. Um, and, and if you actually... Uh, look into the detail of the article. Basically, what it's saying is, well, um, regional centres have had far better growth than than capital cities in the last um, six months, and that's about to slow. Um, but from from a buyer's agent point of view, we've been looking at a, a heap of regional areas around the country, and I was I was talking to an agent yesterday in one of those areas, and. They just don't advertise for rent anymore because there's just so much on the database that wow. um, there's so many in line trying to get rentals that there's not – it's actually 0% vacancy because when when a house comes up that they're going to list for rent, they don't list it and they just go straight to the internal database and you've got 24 hours to, to almost like put in your offer and your resume and your reason as to why you'd want this house, it's almost becoming like – um buying a property you you now mm. forced to put your case forward to uh to and maybe the highest bidder wins um which is unfortunate for people trying to rent a property um but this is happening in regional centers 50 to 100,000 in um in size so uh, i i can't see the regional market slowing down anytime soon based on uh based on that sort of scenario
3: no yeah, definitely. Again, back to supply and demand issues. I also, um, I think that I wouldn't say that the supply issue is as bad in metro areas, but um, but I think what's really interesting is there has been a lot of um, talk of rent rises I guess almost bouncing back from where they did drop during the height of the pandemic Um, and that I've even noticed just on community Facebook groups a lot of people being like, I've applied for 10 rentals and I can't get in anywhere. You know, does someone want to break their lease or does someone thinking of their lease ending that can like sub me in, which is a smart way to go. But it's evident that... um, surprisingly actually to me that um, there is a lack of stock in the metro market as well. So I can only imagine regional must be really bursting at the seams. Yeah,
2: totally. And and it's uh, it's something that doesn't go away quick. And, and I think we've referenced SQM research before in, in terms of checking vacancy rates the last eight or 10 years in your postcode. But a, a really good indicator is to see um, how long it takes to to go from say one percent vacancy to to four percent vacancy? Like, there's a lot of stock needs to come on for that to change. And and why I'm I suppose so mesmerised by vacancy rates is it, It's a really good indicator of what's out there because people the vacancy rates is relative to the amount of investment stock that's out there because you're not renting out your owner occupier home, are you? Um, so you well. Physically, you may, but um, renting a property is renting it from someone who's an investor who owns that property. So, it's uh, there's a direct correlation with vacancy rates to the supply in a in a certain area. So, if you're seeing three and a half four percent vacancies in a in a region at the moment, I'd be deeply concerned with that.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's an oversupply of yeah investor stock and. You could negotiate a good rent, probably. Yeah. If it's too much supply, be the opposite way. That's when it's a renters' market, not an investors' market. That's right. It's great, like buyers and sellers' market. Yeah.
2: So, I, just on all of that, uh, how you how are you seeing off market um, properties at the moment? When the the market's still very warm, uh, agents don't really need to, or, or vendors don't need to go and get a sale off market. How are you seeing that trending? Someone
3: actually asked me this yesterday and they are like, "What? what is the sentiment of off-market? The beauty of off-market is they exist in any market because there are reasons that people, regardless of how well the market's performing, will want to sell off-market. We recently bought one um, for a client and – this vendor is so private that we can't, you can't actually publish it. We've bought this property. Like the agent strictly yep. said, you can't. There are reasons, whether it be financial, um, personal, or keeping things private, that people do sell off market. What's very interesting, and this is so telling of um, the supply and demand issue right now, is uh, a bit of a case study. I actually put a post on a community Facebook group in an area I was working for a client. And I said, look, If you have a property that you own and you want to sell, it would be free to you to sell it because, you know, I'm there to buy it, not sell it for a client. And um, maybe we can just have a chat. So, vendor direct, basically. In an area where agents are really struggling to get stock, I got seven vendors contact me directly with their properties saying that they would be prepared to sell, but every single one of them wanted a long settlement, yep. minimum four months, so they could then go and find a property to live in. Themselves. And that is the biggest thing um, these off-market deals are happening is because you can stipulate how long you, you know you want the, the period of um, settlement for and it can be attractive to both vendor and um, buyer to have that happen. So, Long-winded
2: answer, but the short answer is (laughs) (laughs) off-markets are still there, well and truly. I I did my own little case study in the last Mm -hmm. week um, comparing some off-markets that we had to uh, properties that were listed on realestate.com and domain. Um, Because I I think as an investor, and I'm talking purely investment here, um, I – you're not emotionally wrapped up in, I need that house there, right? There's mm. five to pick from. I can choose, I could buy all five if, um, if the numbers stacked up, I suppose, in that, if yep. I've got my strategy in order. So we had three off market, so we had an opportunity to look at. We had about a week before it was going to market. Um, and basically, if we know our numbers well enough, um, we could have bought one of those, and we're still working through one of them at the moment actually, but paying what we think it's worth and what the vendor's happy to accept, which is about market rate. Right? Correct. Yep. Now, we, when we compare that to something that gets on to realestate.com, the difference is there are now 20, 30 other people pushing that price up. So whilst it might not have been the best property out of those five, it's a, it's a property where we've secured for maybe 20, 30, 40 grand less than what the other property we would have preferred uh, be, purely because we got it off market and it wasn't listed mm. on realestate.com. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, totally. And that's the thing, right? I always say to people in the off market space, basically the asking price is what the vendor's reserve would be. If you did take it to market, anything beyond that is out of your control. That's what other buyers perceive the value of that property. And the, opportun- the opportunity there is to get it at a price that the vendor's happy to sell and you're happy to buy and most of the time that is less than what it would achieve on market. And people kind of go, well, but why would a vendor sell off market? Um, And I think what you need to understand is there are costs to go to market, advertising, styling, photos, brochures, that for a lot of people, they're happy with a certain figure and they'd rather just take that figure and know they've got it than take the gamble of forking out money to potentially get more.
2: Yeah. The, the one that I purchased last week, mm. the tenant had been in there, listen to this, since 1982. Oh, my gosh. Right? The last inspection, Ooh. no one knows when, right? Oh, my goodness. I've just left it. It's just somebody pays <laughs> no, on time. She's um, in the process of vacating, change of oh. circumstances, um, yeah. which is a good outcome for her. But the moral of the story is the, the agent couldn't show anyone through there. Right, so, okay, who do I know that will buy this sort of property, is not fussed about the way the kitchen looks, then, yeah, that's where the opportunities lie as well. So, if you're you're listening and thinking, well, why would they go and choose off-market, that's one of the reasons as well. But uh, that's the longest I've heard of uh, of a tenant staying in one place. (laughs) Like, that's the (laughs) year my wife was born. Uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. So, John, I'm keen to hear... Um, what would be your top two or three predictions or um, insights as to how you think the market's going to unfold this year?
2: Yeah, well, coming back to that, should I buy or should I wait? Uh, I think the next best time to buy is now. If you can afford it and if you've got your strategy in order and you've got your deposits and the banks will lend you money, um, I I can't see markets retracting at all, the the good markets around the country with the good asset classes. So market there are some markets that have grown through this two or three-year period that may have had eight or ten years of no growth okay, I'm not that bullish about those type of markets because when the dust settles, they may go back to being just a flat market again uh, with no real yeah. key drivers so uh we want to stay in good markets. we just don't want to go and chase the the um the temptation of of different markets that are maybe a little bit more speculative uh but yeah, yeah. i i continue I will continue to see some growth i think uh it may not be as as high and as bullish as the last year or, or two years, but I think there'll, there'll be some growth um, in good assets. So that that's my first prediction. Second yep. prediction, as I mentioned earlier, I think we'll see a rate ra- rise to some extent, um, and just really having a strategic mortgage broker in your corner for that, because the dance between principal and interest, interest only if you're an investor, um, the dance between fixed and variable, and the portion of that based on your your risk profile and and what's going on in your life. Um, so, they're, they're the, the the two key ones for me. Um, I haven't really got a third. What, what, uh, no, that's what, what okay. What
3: <laughs> um, My prediction would be, I mean, definitely um, I can't see how the market's going to go backwards. I just cannot see how that's going to happen. I do think it will stabilise in some pockets um, and that buyers will sort of pull back on how frantic they are particularly in auction settings, I think um, we won't see drastic results. I think we'll see, you know, sort of fair and reasonable like, oh, that makes sense sort of, you know, sales outcomes. Um, So that sort of prediction number one is an evening of the market um, in certain pockets. And then I think the other one would be sort of what I touched on earlier around particularly those who are educated about the cost of renovation. I do think there will be opportunities in properties that um, do need a bit of love. <laughs> um, and I think the people who will really reap the rewards of those are experienced um experienced renovators, such as people, you know, who flip houses, um, but also those who have access to trades uh, within their family or, you know, their their network. I think someone who's a first-home buyer who's going, oh, you know, we'd love a project for our first home and literally has no idea, may suffer a little bit if they don't properly account for the renovation costs. So, I think, um, to summarise that point, renovated properties, tasteful, renovations (laughs) Um, will actually perform really well this year. And I think um, ones that are a bit of a shell of a house may struggle to get the good results. And I think for a third point, I really think that we will start to see the influence of um, internationals returning and start to see um, uh, probably potentially an increase of properties bought sight unseen, knowing that those people are coming back to Australia, potentially returning or relocating back. Um, And I think that that, when that was COVID, it was a lot of interstate um, sight unseen purchases happening, particularly up on the Gold Coast. But I actually think that will start happening on a more of a global level um, of people Trusting someone on the ground to show them the property via video and secure themselves a spot um, before they actually land here.
2: Yeah, and I think generally that that trend is continuing to change in Australia. Mm-hmm. It, it's a little, a lot more popular overseas, but I think even for locals that may be buying interstate, the the fact that they can zoom in and have a look around and Google Earth and and um, use other features where it 's all pretty up to date now means that you don 't have to be f- physically there if you if you can get your head around it so yeah that that 's a really good point um, but uh, yeah it 's um interesting it 's always yeah. uh, a, a hot topic as to what how the year will play out but uh, I think it all comes back to uh, what is your game plan? What's what's in your control in your corner and let's control that first and and those things out of our control. Yeah, they're risks and they're they're unknowns, but um we we always look at the worst case and, and plan for the for the best.
3: 100%. And I think, um, we should probably, we, you and I, I don't think we ever listen to our own episodes because we record them and we send them to, to Nate, our uh, producer and go, Nate, here you go. <laughs> um, that's about it. Um, but I think maybe we could, um, listen to our, predictions at the end of this year when we do a recap show and see, you know, how it did play out and um, and what actually
2: happened. Yeah. we might find out that we know absolutely nothing and uh, yeah. <laughs> the show's <laughs> over. But uh, I, I, I did get some good feedback this morning on yeah. the um, interview with Douglas. So, if you haven't Ooh, yes. listened to that, check that out. Unbelievable, 28-year-old taking on the world and just changing the way we do things is not uh, mm. not the standard approach to life is it truly really? no
3: i loved that interview i thought that was awesome and certainly inspiring for those people who are keen to make their mark in in the property space for sure so go check out that episode i think it was one or two episodes back from today's yeah
2: no very good um as always listeners thank you for allowing us into your lives hope you've benefited from this session and uh, we'll chat to you all soon Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education.
3: That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps.
2: I've created the Solvair Online Academy. open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space
3: and I've created the buying coach built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property particularly for first home buyers
2: follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today